morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Light on suitability. We are shining light on the reality of being found suitable for parole and existing in society. Today, we're going to talk about anxiety and how it must be embraced. If not, then we may subject ourselves to at-risk behavior. And this is real big. Sean? Can you explain before you move to Sean what you mean by anxiety? Do you mean a clinical diagnosis of anxiety or do you mean just generalized anxiety, stress about the parole process, stress about being released, stress about prison conditions? Absolutely. Um, and I, again, I take my definitions from what we learn during our self-help groups. Um, and sometimes it's clinical, but we try to make it, we bring it to, to common sense terms. We simplify everything. And we learned that anxiety was an intense, um, excessive or persistent worrying or a fear about everyday situations. And one of the things we learned in prison is that we try to make everything to where it's not stressful. So how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. But was I really fine? Of course not. I'm in prison. Of course you know? not. I mean, so um, we try to, we, we compartmentalize. We take our anxiety and our fears and we put it aside so that we can appear to be just cool-headed, level-headed, tough guys or, or whatever. But as a consequence of that, we don't prepare properly for what's gonna happen inside and outside. So, and so we're gonna say that anxiety is having an intense worry or fear about everyday situations. And this goes with our warnings and our triggers uh, because we have an internal and external triggers. We have warning signs like a fast heart rate, rapid breathing, feeling tired, you know, these are all signs of anxiety, of, of having fear. So we're gonna go into that today. Sean. We lost Sean for one okay. second, but I wanted to follow up with you. Yes. About. What kind of things would you be excessively worrying about in prison? Is that when you, you're saying? Uh, I, absolutely. Well, like Sean and I mentioned so much, in prison, when we used to like leave our cells or even when we got to lower levels and leave our, our cubicles or our pods, um, and, and may I add you <laughs> that we lived in what's called a pod. It was equivalent to a two-car garage and there were 13 other people in the garage with us. Um, it's mixed up by different races, different ethnicities, different locations, Southern California, Northern California, uh, what have you. So that was already a stressful situation in itself. But when you left your, but, but that was your safety net. I have to say this, it's stressful, but that's where you're supposed to be, quote unquote, supposed to be safe. Then when you go out, your daily affairs, you go to the yards, you go into the day room or you go wherever, your whole thing was, can I make it back? Am I going to make it back to my cell or going to make it back to my powder cubicle unharmed or having not having to harm someone else? Um, so that's a daily stressor in itself. Not to mention if you have any familial ties and you're really worried about your family because you can't, you can't protect them. I used to think about my child, my loved ones, and I can protect them. I can protect them. Well, you know, um, and, and, and that was a, a big stressor. But then, I'm a, and I'm going to say this, Elizabeth, 
uh, being a lifetime inmate, waking up every morning with the question of when I'm getting out or if I was ever getting out of prison was a stressor that we right. learned to live with. But even when we tried to compartmentalize, you can't. Because every time you've seen someone being paroled, like a person who didn't have a life sentence, lower level inmate, you're like, wow, is that ever going to happen for me? So when I see guys aging, when I see guys, hairs graying prematurely or even on time, or when I see people just going through the daily episodes, I, I, I understood, I empathize because I'm, I'm living it also. Um, we just have to, we, we learn how to deal with our stressors. We learn how to deal with our anxiety and our fears and our worries, but it wasn't easy and it's still not easy. And, and, and to, to chime in what you're saying is that you only learn if you start getting into the groups and being around people who will, who have the information on how to deal with the stresses. Cause a lot of times, you know, the way I deal with my stress is through getting into stuff, violence, drinking, uh, just out there on the yard doing nothing, or I will go work out, right? But not all the time did working out work for me. Not all the time getting in the bathtub worked with me. But when I started to get the information, the tools I need to know how to deal with my stress, right? That started working for me. Because like like our girl said, just seeing people go home, uh, you definitely ask yourself, like, dang, is that ever going to be me? Like, am I going to die in here? And so getting up every morning and, 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 and making yourself have a positive attitude that day. And like where we were at with 13 other people in the pod, you know, some folks don't wake up like you wake up. <laughs> you know, you're dealing with a lot of personalities, you know, a lot of gems on people and so on. It's definitely, and then coming home, right? Now you're not dealing with the stress of incarceration. You're dealing with the stress of the freedom world. And so you might have things planned or, you know, and you got to jump through hurdles. It don't, it don't always come easy, especially for those who don't have loved ones. Right. And so we just definitely want to let everybody know that, you know, you're going to go through things. It's what you do with your stress. And so it's about finding tools to put into your toolbox so you'll know how to deal with the stresses of life, incarcerated or in the free world. Can I jump on those two couple of things then, Sean? You mentioned you handled the stress and anxiety by violence and drinking as one example before you went to the groups and how or why did violence and drinking help you deal with stress in that way and to follow up but it's a was related to the same flow of conversation that you had but you were asking always asking is it ever going to be me were you asking that when you were engaging in violence and drinking to solve or cope with stress or were you doing it at some other time when you were, were trying hard and then third why would you question that if you did see people going home how did you think they were getting paroled okay so uh no I wasn't thinking about uh going home when I was engaging in the body I wasn't in recovery 
So I didn't care. And you know the saying, misery love company. And so at that time, um, I didn't know how to deal with my stress. And so the only, the only tool that I had was violence, acting stupid, acting crazy. And so I just did that, right? I only used what I knew. And that's what I knew at that time until me, uh, I started getting into groups and then, you know, having one-on-ones with me and Duro, you know, we had our meetings every Saturday and throughout the week, but we really had our meetings where it was just me and him on Saturday. And so we, you know, we, we, we was on some man conversation, some grown-up stuff. And so we would just talk to each other and remind each other what was important. And, um, going home, Yes, and when I started getting in recovery, even, even when I wasn't in recovery, right, I was still asking myself, damn, when am I going to go home? But not thinking about all the stupid stuff and the 115 that I was getting, right? That just shows you how your, 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 your mental capacity is seriously off, right? I don't want to use warp because that's like a group talk, right? But it was definitely off. But when I really started getting into the groups, um, I would have to say for me, it really started affecting me more because now I know that I'm doing something better, right? Now I know that I'm changing my life. Now I know I'm helping other people change their lives and just see someone walk through the gate. And when you got that life sitting, it's, you know, life is life. It means that you, you may never go home ever, right? And then like Daryl said, you seeing people uh, disappear through whether it's health or uh, whether it's violence on the yard. And so you just ask yourself, like, man, am I ever going to make it out of here? Like, like I don't want to die in here. No, you know, I'm just keep, keeping it real. I never wanted to die in prison, right? And I'm just like, this is not where I want to die at. Um, but like like the question you asked, no, I didn't, I didn't think about it when I was getting into stuff. I only used what I knew. And what I knew was to make other people misery, not realizing I was doing that, but that's what I say it comes misery loves uh, company. What was your first question you asked me? The first question was why you use violence and drinking, which you did address. And when you started, when it was, when you were asking, was it ever going to be you? So then I would just ask, was there a point in time then when you started going to groups and you realized that it could be you obviously there was a point in time but when was that shift in your mind going no it can be me and so at what point was that um for me i would have to say honestly i would have to say um being around Daryl, uh we're we're very strong spiritual men right and so um being around Daryl and watching his spiritual walk um, really encouraged me to start getting uh, more in-depth in my spiritual walk. And as I grew closer to God, right, um, it allowed me to see things differently. And then being in the groups at the same time, you know, it gave me more information. And so... Um, that's when it started really clicking for me. Uh, it was already clicking, but it really clicked in is when me and Daryl just started spending our time and I was watching Daryl because I'm a person, I watch people, right? I pay attention to people. 
and seeing God bless uh, bro in so many areas of his life, no matter where we was at and seeing the good that he was doing in there and then never took credit and then was always talked about, I was like, okay, that's what I want right there, right? That's what I want. And so uh, he helped me in my spiritual walk and then also helped me to grow as a man and um, and wanted to help people because I still had that little, I, I mean, I like helping people, but I still had that attitude. I get like, you know what? Uh, dude is ungrateful. I ain't helping, I ain't helping nothing, right? But Daryl had the spiritual, he had the spiritual part to where he just said, you know what? He can't do nothing to me that God don't allow. It's not going to stop me from doing what I've been called to do, right? Because he got to deal with that. I'm going to just do what I was told to do. And I was told, you know, to do this and do that and do that. And so that right there was super inspiring for me. And that really changed my whole life. That's when I really started getting in depth uh, with my spiritual walk and then with the group. And then when somebody does something to me, uh, I was just like, okay, whatever, you know. Um, because like Daryl said one time when we was at, at, at work, is that people going to be who they are, right? And But long as you do what you're supposed to do by the creator, you're going to be blessed. And here we are today. We're kind of monopolizing the conversation from Daryl. Sorry, Daryl, after this. No, no, it's all I'll good. Let you, no, Sean, we'll Sean got in. it. No, so, Sean, Sean has it. My, I do, I do want to ask something, Elizabeth. Um, okay, so because, then... Just uh, keep that and then go with mine and then go for it. So did you, just curious, when you guys are walking into these hearings, are you thinking today I'm getting granted parole? Or are you still thinking like 50-50? Are you still really not knowing because of so many different variables? Honestly, go ahead, Daryl. And I, I want to answer this because I went to the board eight times. Um, five times I went to the board, the last thing on my mind is I was getting out of prison. Um, they told me I was going to die in prison. They told me, and, and, and not because of my, the die. crime of, of second degree murder that I was convicted for. They told me I was going to die in prison because I became involved, not just with the street gang, but prison politics. Because I've been to the hole so many times because of the things that have taken place with physical violence and the people I associated with that I wasn't ever getting out of prison. And they made me believe it. So for the first five times I went to the board, the last thing on my mind was I'm getting out, which means I didn't prepare properly, which means I was not participating in any self-help groups, which means that I couldn't see myself even outside the prison wall. Terrible, terrible defeated mentality. Um, uh, it led me to out amazing denial about any and everything. So, um, no. But once I learned that I am a different person, that I do deserve a second chance, and I accepted the fact that I have changed, that I know who I am and I can present myself better, then I started going to the board believing that I can get out of prison. But what I had to learn, and Sean was there, I had to learn I had to make up for all that lost time. <laughs> you know, they needed to be convinced. You just can't come up with five denials and then all of a sudden you're saying everything right. they like, where you get this information from? You know, So that's when you get denied and we have to go through what's called denial management. How do I manage that denial? 
So you get the five-year denial, then you get the three-year denial, and then hopefully the next one you hit. Um, but um, I started going to the board believing I was going to get out. Had my family so excited and overwhelmed. They were listening to me talking about causal factors, relapse prevention. They was like, what is all this stuff you're talking about? You know, and I get denied. Uh, and I'll say, hey, they just want to see how I respond. They want to see if I'm really the person that I'm saying that I am. And that's exactly what it was. And as an attorney, you know, that's a reality for a lot of people. But I want to add this um, because the questions that you asked Sean, you know, and Sean and I were gang members uh, and not just gang members, but we were gang members. We're with it. Um, you know, we, like most people, Elizabeth, suffered, and I said it with the past tense, from flawed thinking. And society, and you, and I'm gonna say this, people who listen to this today, they're probably gonna be able to tap into a little education that Sean and I don't express. You know, we don't really talk about our, our, our how much we tried to become educated inside, but this is a psychological, um, I'm talking about something that comes from, from psycho psychology. Flawed thinking is something that devastates nine out of 10 people that's in prison. For instance, I had a negative self-concept of myself. As a gang member, in my mind, people's hurtful words or opinions of me were true. Sean, you remember how we made what people said about us true, okay? Listen right. to this, Elizabeth. And listeners, I had a distorted family concept. I believed that my family didn't understand me or love me. And this is something that we get from the gang members and from the convicts, convicts in prison, so that we can ally ourselves with them. Because they say, well, we understand you. We got love for you. So we no longer listen to anything that comes from our family, our friends, people who really care about us. We're subjected now and listening to these people feeding us this garbage. There's more. Another aspect of flawed thinking is poor associates. When you have poor associates, that makes poor choices easy. So in our immature mind, we thought that our criminal gang friends wanted the best for us. We thought that they loved us, that they accepted us who we were, that they always be there for us. False. <laughs> it's not true. Very, very they're, false. they're not gonna be there. They can't be there. They don't even know how to be there. They don't know how to love because first of all, they don't love themselves. And the last thing that really needs to be understand, understood about flawed thinking is as a gang member, we have, and this is why Sean responded the way he did. We have what's called an inflated egocentric image. I see you looking right in my eyes, Sushan, this big. <laughs> you know, we looked at everything and everyone who challenged us, that they were challenging our pride and we had to deal with it. Because as a gang member, we gotta stay in control. We got to show, not show anxiety, not show fear, not show weakness, or not be vulnerable. So every time something came, we responded where we were going to be in control. And we learned to control people the way the guards controlled us, but through violence, through physical. So this is why we responded the way we responded, because we were learning from our teachers, which was our captors. I hate to put it that way, but that's what it was. And again, this all goes back to a, a proper preparation of a relapse prevention plan when you learn your triggers internal and external. Excuse me for making that so long, Elizabeth, but I just really needed to put that out there because people really need to know the mindset of a person that's a gang member, drug dealer, prisoner, flawed thinking. If we could correct that, you can correct the person. Most definitely. So did Absolutely. you walk in the last time, your last hearing, Daryl, 
believing in yourself, believing you could be granted parole, or was there still a, you never know because it's every commissioner is different. I went to the, I'm going to tell you this. I went to the parole hearing in 2019. I told everybody I'm getting out. I'm getting found suitable today. Um, I had a commissioner who he never did over an hour with a hearing. <laughs> okay. That was his thing. Um, he was give you his, he give you his background, his military, he's this, this, that. He hit the questions and I'm talking about, we nailed it. I and my, when I came to my, for the recess, me and my attorney, we didn't literally do it, but we high five. Okay. We like, we got it. I went back and he denied me. <laughs> he denied me. Who was he that? Told me, he told me that his, his particular thing is you got to be three years clean. Okay. I didn't have three years cleaning at that time, completely three years, because I had a 115 in 2017. So it wouldn't have been until January of 2020 that I've been three years clean. I took it like a champ because what, I knew that I was ready. What was the 115? It was a fight. Uh, I was attacked. Oh, oh you're I was lucky. Attacked. Well, I was attacked, but it was a, I tried to avoid, I tried, but my coping skills wasn't there. I didn't reach into my toolbox and use the things that I had in there. And when the person struck me, I tried to say, hey, but when he went back to try to strike me again, the me came out and I do what we do because I'm not gonna let nobody hurt me. You know, and, and you can keep your hands to yourself. I don't have a problem to say anything you wanna say, but don't touch me because if you touch me, I think you're trying to kill me. And my mother told me, I'd rather see you in a hole than see you in a hospital. <laughs> so, you know, when I was in prison. No, that's, so, that's, uh, and that's unfortunate. And I, that's one of the things that I've been saying in my closing arguments. I don't know if it hurts, but it needs to be said. And so I have been saying, and I said, the guy, you can't expect him to get his head flat into a pancake so he can get granted parole. That is and, unacceptable from the commissioners. And let me say this. But I don't want to encourage because then no. people will take it black and white instead right. of saying, yeah, but if I had taken that creative conflicts resolution class or I had taken that alternatives to violence, I probably could have said something to the guy humorous or I probably didn't have to respond in the jerky way that I did. And he might not have taken the swung at me to begin with, or I could have just said, hey, it's my fault guy I, and those types of things I know those exist not always but if the guys take another swing at you do you think you could have avoided that Daryl that fight? I'm gonna say this I walked into a situation where the guy was like laying wait he's waiting for me to get off work as soon as I walked in I took my jacket off and immediately he's up in my face I've been gone all day at work uh and again I work in an office so you know People think and feel the way they think and feel. I don't care. But um, there's no such thing as self-defense in prison. At all. If someone hits you, they tell you, fall, holler, scream, or run to the cop. I'm not falling because you're not going to stop me. I'm not going to run because you're going to chase me. And I'm not going to go to the cop because now I'm going to have 10 people lined up. So we try to avoid circumstances and situations to the best of our ability. Um, could I have done, could I have done something different? Yes. When he strung and, and hit me the first time in mine, he swung and I moved back and hit me on my chest. I felt, the, I felt the blow. I felt the power and 
I'm training certain things, so uh, I can defend myself really well. I was like, okay, he got a little power behind behind this. So, <laughs> you know, I said, okay. Um, you know, uh, I could have ran Elizabeth downstairs and to the guard's office the way he did when he got up off the ground, but that wasn't me. And I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, that wasn't who I was. You know, that wasn't who I was uh, as a human being. Uh, but yes, and would I tell someone to do so? Absolutely. I would tell anyone now, your freedom, if you can get away without getting hurt and hurting someone, do it. Don't worry about what people think. But at, in 2017, I thought about what people thought about me. I thought oh, that yeah. if I was to run and go around, when I come back, it's going to be 10 people. Because I'm a lion. Now I would be a lion without no teeth. So all the hyenas would have been waiting for me. You know. And again, this is our mindset in prison. And a lot of family members don't know what their loved ones go through being in prison. And the oh, rule yeah. is, remember, Elizabeth, eat or be eaten. That's the rule. So uh, after being in prison since 1989, in 2017, I still have to make these critical decisions. And unfortunately, I made the wrong one. And I will admit that I made the wrong one at that time. Um, I went back and, and circumspect and got with my group immediately. I immediately made an oath of self of, of nonviolence. And remember this, Sean? You know, yep. they immediately start working on me. Um, and I, I, I wrote a declaration that I was going to be nonviolent. And if anybody did something like this to me again, that I would not fight. I didn't say I was going to go. I'm not going to go and, and run to the people and all that because that's not my thing. But I would have dealt with it a different way. Um, and I had a couple of incidents that occurred. Like within the six months before going to the board, I did really well. I made it to the board in 2021. And I got found suitable. And um, I'm home now. <laughs> so I do encourage people to use their mind, not their emotions, okay? And you don't have to be tough, you know, unless your life is actually being jeopardized. Okay. Yes, indeed. I agree. Um, and, I hope saying, and I hope I'm saying the right thing because I'm, 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 I'm real, you know, because like, I'm real. No, the, the word is not the right thing. It's just the, what's on your heart and in the truth, the truth at the moment. But then, so who was the commissioner? So that was pretty good because some commissioners say five years between a fight and the grant. Well, I had six witnesses came to my 115 hearing. Uh, and this person lived a different lifestyle than I did. And the six witnesses were from that person's lifestyle. So... It wasn't like six of my friends that came forth. There was six of that guy's friends, you know, who came and told the truth. So uh, I asked, and I asked the commission, can you please read the 115? <laughs> read the witness and read what happened instead of just saying it was a fight and I was guilty. Please read what took place, you know, and because there's no self-defense, I it would have been called a mutual combat, but they changed that rule and now it's called fighting, you know, because mm -hmm. I defended myself. And well, I'm, and now there's a ways to address that because it's not you. It is a crime. It is a penal code crime. And in a court of law, you would be afforded the um, right to present self-defense. And just because it's preponderance of the evidence versus reasonable doubt, it is available. It's just the prison doesn't, it just brushes over that. that. But we and I then we got to switch. We got to give uh, Sean the floor. But so when you walked in there in 2021, were you telling the guys, "I got this. I'm getting a grant today"? 
Oh, uh, I'm going to tell you this, Elizabeth. I didn't tell anybody I was going to the board. I didn't tell, if you didn't know, because you work with me, you didn't know I was going to the board. And uh, we're in the height of COVID, <laughs> you know, and I, I told myself, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, and, you know, because, you know, that don't talk too soon thing, that's, you know, that, that's superstitious. But uh, I told myself that I'm going in better than I went last time. Uh, I knew myself a little more. I can articulate who I am, how I feel, what I wanted in life. And I went in and we were on video and I had, my commissioner was an ex-warden. I had Joe Sullivan, okay? And he was an ex-warden in the prison that I that I did a lot of crazy stuff in. So, you know, and he had been there at the time that I was in there going back and forth to the hole. And uh, I went in there and, and I was completely honest. I was open, I was vulnerable. Um, and I let that old person, I put him in a grave. I sealed the casket of that old person and gave them the new me, the me that you're getting to know and the world is getting to know today those who choose to. And Joe Sullivan told me to go be hired by a law firm. <laughs> he told me, you know, go and, and allow my, ally myself with these groups and organizations that are trying to do something different because what spoke for me was the staff at the prison I was in who get paid to watch me every single day. You know, and like Sean was saying, you know, they pay attention, they watch us, they know our highs and lows. They see us when we don't see them. And they spoke, you know, and it wasn't a lot of them. I just had a few laudatory chronicles, but they were all veterans, people who were seasoned, their eyes were right. And um, I think they, they obviously they received the right thing for me. And I, I respect it, I love it, and I appreciate it. And I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna make those people be, prove them wrong by finding me suitable for parole. That's right. Yeah. There's Buddy. He's on the show yeah, today. Give me, a little, give me a little emotional right now, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. Let's uh, give Sean a chance. We've been monopolizing everything here. What about you, yeah, Sean? I apologize. I apologize for taking so much time. No, no I, not uh, at all. Was, not uh, at all. It's yeah, good. Uh, Sean's um, happy that you were speaking the way you were. But what about you, Sean? Did you walk in thinking, I'm getting granted today? Um, yes, I did. I really did. Um, I really, really did because when I first went to the board in 2018, I thought I was going to get it, but, um, I didn't have enough clean time. Um, I had a, I had a fight in 2014, but I had a 115, a thrill no, that was written up on me that was bogus. And so, uh, I, I appealed it. It was dropped to a lot of Terry Chrono. I appealed a lot of Terry Chrono. It was supposed to be removed out of my file. It removed, but we forgot to remove the 602. And so <laughs> when I went, and Daryl, you remember that because they were looking yeah, all yeah, over. You got written up for conduct inducers of violence. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, so, it was uh, and, and it, and it, yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh. So when I went to the board, um, first of all, I was shocked that they even knew about it. Um, went back and told the lieutenant that me and Daryl worked for, and he was like, no, it's removed out of the file. I did it personally. 
And so uh, when they asked me what, what happened with the incident, you know, um, I didn't make the officer look bad. I just, you know, explained to them that the officer was mistaken. Um, so they gave me a five-year denial on that with uh, not accepting responsibility and uh, minimizing and blaming staff for for his misconduct. So uh, I was I was I was broken. I ain't gonna lie. I was heartbroken. I didn't even want to come back to the yard. I was so embarrassed because I in my mind I was saying, man, I didn't help all these people get dates, and here it is. I'm coming back and not getting a date. You know, and so what I should have been thinking was, what am I going to do to encourage them, right, to not be discouraged because I didn't get a date, someone who they think or thought was going to get a date that day, right? But I was selfish at the time, and it didn't come to me until later when I was talking to Daryl and God revealed it to me, and I was like, wow, how selfish can I be? But once again, I believe it was a test. Um, they asked me to take anger management and domestic violence because there was a lot of stuff going on in my household uh, when I was growing up. Um, so I did it. Me and me and Daryl went on a rampage. We both got a five-year denial just a few months apart. And we just went on a rampage. We did way more than what they asked us to do. And so uh, Daryl filed, got his. Uh, a few months later, I filed mine. I got mine January 19th. I already had a board date for June 8th and and was getting a new psych report, which you don't get unless you do the three years, you can only get a new one. So I knew things was lining up for me. You know, I can see God working on my behalf and, and that made me more confident. It just made me study more. It made me just... Uh, <clears throat> help people more. Really, I was helping people more because I was saying to myself, hey, and I was telling them, I'm not going to be here too long, so y'all better get the information you need to get up out of me while I'm here. Utilize me, right? And so I was really busy on just really helping people. Even during the COVID, the staff used to let me come out and teach three times out of a week in the day room. And so that was a beautiful thing. And so I seen how God was working on that part. And uh, I got my psych, did my psych report. And uh, my psych report looked like a, a, a lot of Terry Chrono. So I really knew it was good. Well, I go in there, um, I was confident. I, I, I had believed that, you know, it was my time um, because I seen other things that was happening that was letting me know. And then, as you know, like, girl, I got, you know, I got a few chronos from my supervisor, from, from, uh, our old guy used to work in building three, uh, little yes, short sir. guy, you know, uh, which yes, this was brought yes, up. Sir. Yes, sir. And I read it like at the, at the end of my hearing, I went in the tank for what, maybe 10 minutes and came back and you know how they run you through the whole shebang about, you know, this and this and that. She flat out said, we're giving you a date, but I actually knew I was going to get a date when the, uh, no, the yeah. deputy. In, in, in the hearing, right, the commissioner, deputy commissioner, the deputy commissioner started asking me hypothetical questions. And he started saying, so if you was to get out today and you see everybody with all that money out there and cars and houses, what would you do? Right. And so I just answered. I was like, well, they've been in there. They've been on they've been on the streets for 28 years for free. 
So they've been working. And so they build up that. So I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't go back to my drug game. You know, I'd just give me a job and give me a bank account and start stacking my money. And eventually, you know, in time, I'll have me a car, have me a house. He started asking different hypothetical questions. And I, in my mind, I was saying to myself, okay, I got you. And, um, but the, the, the commissioner, when she really just started, when I started talking and she leaned, leaned in on me, I knew either two things. Either she was hearing me and feeling me, right? Or she was trying to catch me in some lies, right? And so they started kind of pretty much in my, in my hearing, letting me know which way they were leading. Uh, another example was um, the DA at the end. Daryl, the DA only asked me, you know how when uh, the commissioners ask you the questions, then your attorney, and then the DA goes, right? Yes. He only asked me, he only asked me one thing. And you wouldn't believe what he asked me. He asked me, <laughs> he said, I just want to know how did your mother and sister die? I was stuck. I was like, wow. I was like, say that again, sir. He's like, I just, the only question I have for you is how did they die? And I told him again. And then he said, sorry for your loss. I'm done. It's time to go. I, I, I knew. <laughs> I knew when, when he did that, that was at the end. I was like, okay, okay, uh, okay. And so uh, my commissioner, she, uh, she was asking me questions, but she was, uh, she was feeling me. But yeah, I only when I got in the holding tank, I knew when I came back 10 minutes later, and the first thing she said was, We're giving you, you you've been found suitable. I, I wanted to cry right there. I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I cried. And I want the world to know my eyes, they told me my eyes don't produce tears. You know, I was taking that medicine for my eyes. I cried. Yeah. And it wasn't I heard it too. wasn't yeah, and it wasn't that I was happy. I cried because I let myself down for so many years and I realized had I done a better job that I could have been suitable before. You know, I was that my that was my tears and I had to let it out. And I let it out. <laughs> I let, and, I let it out. And that's what mine was. That's what my happy was uh, is is that wow, I could have done this a long time ago and then I was saying to myself, I remember seeing people go out the gate and seeing lifers go home and I was saying, man, it, it happened. And yes. so that encouraged me that if you stick to your dreams, right? If you if you hold on in there, because storms of life gonna come. But if you stand in there like a palm tree, I promise you the end result will be what me and Daryl got. And that is success. Success and being getting out. And now we're able to help people. We're able to get back. We're able to be with our family. Um, show real amends to our victims. Um, it's, 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 it's a feeling that's indescribable. Like sometimes I'll be sitting in my room and I'll just cry just of praise and thanks, you know, that I'm, I've been given another opportunity to be able to get out and make a difference in the world. Because I believe we was born to make a difference in the world, not to bring chaos into the world. And so to be able to do that and do that before I left and then get out and do it even bigger, um, it's truly an honor. I'm proud of you, bro. Really, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of you too. But I'm yes, proud of you.
Elizabeth. I am too. So I hijacked your whole topic today by veering off in all kinds of different directions, Daryl. But anyway, good directions, I think. We can always resume. Okay. Yes. And it's and it's good because um again next week we'll just follow up on uh, on the anxiety um, because it is is it, well we talked about it but it is important because we want not only the attorneys to articulate to their clients how important it is for them to just know that this is real I want families and people to know that we go through things we're human so we do have human emotions also even though uh, we disconnected from them at a point in time they come back. And, and still today, you know, I have a lot of emotions, a lot of things. And when you don't have anybody to talk to or when you're misunderstood by your family and so-called friends, um, that's why we have a support team. You know, I, I could call Sean. You know, me and Sean had a long conversation this morning just about how we are adjusting, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's big. So um, the support team is really good, but I just want people to know that we are human. People are in prison are human. And loved ones, family, people help us reconnect with our with our humanity, and, and we need that. So don't give up, you know. And we're not going to give up. Don't give up because uh, brilliant men come out of prison. Not all, but many do. And if you have a person you really love and care about, help them become brilliant and be patient with them. Big thing, patience. Be patient with. And I know we're over our time right now because it's eleven o'clock. And, you know, we we do it moving, but uh, I just needed to say that, Sean. Excuse me. Beautiful thing. I don't need to repeat. I want to thank everybody for getting in and listening to us. I hope we were able to, to give you some information and, and, and touch your hearts. Hope to see you back next week and hear us again. Next week, we have David Sloan. Yes. Who is a former lifer, former parolee. He is now discharged on parole, and he's here to give everyone tips on the parole process, re-entry. He calls it re-entry, the pitfalls, the good, the bad, the ugly. He's going to explain it. He's nine years in. Any and all questions from Daryl and Sean and myself engaging in the roundtable discussion, the conversation that we usually just end up having. So that should be excellent.